Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. Happy you're tuning in to Dose of Leadership as always. I got John Mackey on the show today. He's the co-founder and CEO of Whole Foods Market. Been wanting him on the show for a long time, and I'm so glad we finally got to do this. He's led the natural and organic grocer Whole Foods to a 13 billion Fortune 500 company. It's got 370 stores, 80,000 team members, three countries. It's been named by Fortune Magazine as the best company to work for for 16 consecutive years and the number one most admired food and drug store company in the world in 2012. What I love about John is that he's a strong believer in free market principles. And I wanted him on the show a few years ago where he, when he um, co-founded the Conscious Capitalism Movement. And you need to go check it out at ConsciousCapitalism.org. And he co-authored that New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling book entitled Conscious Capitalism. Liberating the Heroic Spirit of Business. And I love everything about the Conscious Capitalist Credo. And it gels nicely with everything we talk about here on Dose of Leadership. It's something that um, when you look at it, it's about, you've heard me talk about engagement and empowerment, you know, working for an organization that has a higher purpose, um, understanding the importance of the stakeholders, looking, you know, recognizing. Um, if you're going to create a business, you need to create value for all the stakeholders. That's customers, employees, vendors, investors, communities, etc. It's not just the customer. It's everything. It's just kind of this global look or this big picture look that, you know, life, like life, businesses form ecosystems and healthy stakeholders lead to healthy business systems. And so I like that version of it. And the kind of third pillar of, of um, this conscious capitalism is conscious leadership which he's written another book that's just come out called Conscious Leadership that dives into this third pillar of conscious capitalism, you know, that, look, human and social organizations are created and guided by leaders. People who see a path inspire others to travel along the same path. It's about inspiration. It's about influence. And influence means you are intentional about adding value, purpose of business and focus on creating value, harmonizing the interests of the stakeholders, which we talked about. And remember, stakeholders isn't just the customer. It's the customer, employee, vendors, investors, communities, etc. There's a larger calling here for conscious capitalism and conscious leadership. And the fourth pillar of conscious capitalism is this conscious culture that this is, there's an ethos. It's it's not just the brand name. It's the values. It's the principles. It's the practices. All of that is the underlying social fabric of the business. And that fabric permeates the atmosphere of a business and connects stakeholders to each other. And it connects to the purpose, the people and the processes. And it's this whole big view. And so I love this idea behind it. That's when people talk about capitalism, this is how I have always seen it. 
and capitalism has kind of gotten a bad rap or it's got a negative connotation to it these days with our crazy screwed up culture and pop media culture. And the bottom line is all companies have a culture, but in all individuals have a leadership style, but not all companies intentionally develop a culture that promotes these values and their purpose. And that's the intentionality behind conscious capitalism. And again, of those four pillars I mentioned there, higher purpose, stakeholder orientation, conscious leadership, and conscious culture, he's gone even deeper. And that's what our conversation spends a lot of time about is what is conscious leadership. And it supports his book of the same name. John Mackey's one of the good ones, folks. This conversation is so fun. Uh, we connect on so many levels. We are simpatico in our beliefs and the thoughts, and he gels nicely with the dose of leadership philosophy. And I'm so excited to bring John Mackey here for you on this episode. This episode is brought to you by my sponsor, Equity Bank. As I've said before, they've been with me over two years on a handful of episodes, and I'm so proud to call them a sponsor. They know what it takes to start and grow a business. They know what it takes to be a leader in a business. They know what it takes to be a leader. It's been exciting to watch them grow into one of the fastest growing banks in the Midwest. Equity Bank is now listed on the NASDAQ exchange. They got locations all across Kansas, as well as Oklahoma, Missouri, Arkansas. Clearly, this team at Equity Bank knows how to lead for growth. So if it feels like your current bank is more of a follower than a leader and you want to work with a bank that really understands your needs, go check them out. Go to equitybank.com to learn more. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you haven't done so, subscribe, rate, and review. Tell somebody about this show. Word of mouth does wonders for the show to keep us front and center in uh, Apple Podcasts and uh, Spotify's rankings. So I appreciate your help. So uh, thank you again for listening, and thanks for doing that, subscribing, rating, and reviewing. Now let's join our conversation with John Mackey, the CEO of Whole Foods, here on Dose of Leadership. Well, John, I'm so thrilled to have you on the show. Welcome to Dose of Leadership. Thanks for having me on, Rich. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, when I started the show eight years ago, I was about two years in, and I was really wanting to talk to you about conscious capitalism. And I never got you on, and then I kind of forgot about it. And then I saw that you had the conscious leadership come out, and I was like, oh, my God, I got to get John on the show. I have been a, a fan and follower of what you believe in for a long time, so this is a, a true thrill for me. So thanks for coming on. Thanks. That's very kind of you to say. Hey, for the sake of our listeners, I know a lot of the stuff that I talk about on the show and people who follow the show, it, it aligns well with what you believe. But just for the sake of someone who may not be familiar with your work or conscious capitalism, because capitalism, you know, the word's kind of a gets bandied around a lot and a lot of negative connotations to it. What just define conscious capitalism if you can for my audience? Well, um, Conscious capitalism is is basically capitalism. It's not socialism. It's a common mistake people make. They think when you say conscious capitalism, you're you're talking about something else besides capitalism. Sure. But it's capitalism. But it's basically done with uh, more consciousness. And so we 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 have four pillars of conscious capitalism. The first one is every every organization, every business has the potential for a higher purpose. Yep. That includes, but goes beyond just maximizing profits. Secondly, that there's all the stakeholders matter, customers matter, team members, employees matter, suppliers matter, investors matter, the communities matter, and that we're trying to create value for all of the stakeholders. So it, it's not strictly just, again, an investor's perspective that all, and that, that these stakeholders are interdependent. There's like a larger 
system that they're all part of. And the management's job in a way is to manage the system to optimize the system. So you're creating value in a conscious way for all the major stakeholders. Third, that we, that we get into conscious leadership, which is of course what the, my, my, right. my recent book is about and conscious leaders are basically, um, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're putting purpose first. They're leading with love. They're acting with integrity. They're looking for win, win, win solutions. They're evolving their team. They're continuously learning and growing pretty much all the chapters that we, that we, uh, all the chapter titles kind of catch the essence of what a conscious leadership is. Right. And fourth, conscious capitalism is about creating cultures where human beings flourish and thrive. Um, the, the, for many people, work is 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 a drag. They don't like right. doing it because they're not getting most of their a lot of their human needs are not getting met in the workplace. And we think that's we think conscious capitalism or conscious business people flourish so it's the yeah. kind of thing you, you want to you want to win one of the 100 best companies to work for you want to be recognized as a place where people really love coming to work because it's very fulfilling to them yeah so it's those four things i love all that and, and thank you for that kind of brief synopsis there and, and all of that resonates with me deeply i in my time when i, I spent time in uh, 10 years active in the marine corps and then i got thrust in the corporate arena in 2001 and, and worked there for 16, 17 years. And a theme that kept coming up, and I know that we were, you know, people were, the company was worried about engagement. They were worried about participation and attracting the right type, all the typical challenges that any business has. And I kept going back to the time and experience that I had in the Marine Corps. And there were a lot of misconceptions or preconceived notions of what that meant. And, you know, on the, on the surface, a lot of people thought I was a lot about a lot of short haircuts and screaming and blind allegiance to orders. <laughs> you know, Call, calling you a maggot and telling <laughs> right, you to exactly. give him fifty push-ups. Right. And then when anybody had the, the time to listen, I would say, "Look, this was a very loving organization, and and it was loving in the sense because of everything you just hit upon there, John. It was it was it was easy to wrap your arms around a higher purpose when you were." in the Marine Corps when you had the right type of leadership. It was easy to understand, you know, of the importance of of, of creating value and that the reason why we're here is that there are stakeholders at play. Again, this isn't, this isn't a business, but at the same time, when we look at all the stakeholders who we're working with and this kind of sense of involvement, we're all in this together. And even when you're working with joint forces, there was this emphasis on Look, you know, it's about getting adding value to everything that we do. And then the, the leadership piece that was everything about that, the conscious leadership of understanding that we're here for a higher purpose. And it's not about us. It's about sacrifice and service and, in, and not doing transactional leadership, but transforming leadership so that everybody that comes in contact with you becomes better, spreading the leadership responsibility around. And then, of course, the culture is everything. The ethos is huge, as you can imagine, in the Marine Corps, the, the values, the principles, the practices, all that is everything. And I would try to say this is what I'm talking about. If, if we could just – I don't care if we're importing – lawn and garden goods, I want people to feel like they're part of something unique and special. And so anyway, I just wanted to share that. That's why I love what you're doing because my time in the, in the corporate arena for the last 17, 18 years has been kind of butting heads with, with that, you know, that I've been trying to push what, what you're kind of saying. So it, it means a lot to me. Well, yeah, the Marine Corps or is a fantastic organization that uh, people that I know that have been in the Corps they bond with their fellow core members at such a deep level that they're oftentimes lifelong. Yeah. There's a lifelong connection. And I would like to think that if you do uh, 
corporations right, it's it's interesting that they think about Marine Corps corporations. There's yep. a, a mm-hmm. root word there, and uh, I know the people that I've that I've built that have built Whole Foods with me that I built Whole Foods with. They're people that I'm I will be friends with my entire life. Yeah. We've gone we've been. And we use war metaphors sometimes. We we've been through the tr- we've been in the trenches together, <laughs> right. you know, and yeah. uh, we've been through hell and back again, right? And there's, there's a deep bonding that occurs from that deep shared experience, and it's part of what humans need. We need that type of um, we need that type of deep connection. We can get it somewhat with our families, but we we need it. It goes beyond family. This is connecting with. Um, other people that have shared passions and Absolutely. shared interest. I just think that's very important human need. I agree with you. And I think that, you know, like you said, when you get people involved with a higher purpose, and they can wrap their arms around it. And again, it doesn't matter what, what you're producing or the product or the service that you're providing. If you can get people, I always equate it to, you know, say you got 150 people in your company. I mean, at a minimum, you got 300 lives that are at stake that this organization is successful, right? And, and so I like to look at it that way. And then I also kind of throw in there that really our, own, our only true obligation is to make the campsite better than you found it. Kind of like something I learned in Boy Scouts, right? It's like when you come upon a place, that, that, I think that's the only real shared obligate. Well, it's one of the, the main shared obligations that we have as human beings is that mm-hmm. while we're here for the short time, it should be our obligation to make it better than we found it. And Absolutely. Yeah. We're we're all passing through here. None of us are sticking around That's right. and, and making the world, helping the world be a better place because we lived in it. I think it's a deep, I think it's deeply fulfilling for people and part of, you know, part of our own individual higher purpose that, that the, that we're all contributing to improving the human condition, improving the world. And, and that can, it doesn't have to be in any grandiose sense. It could be no. just the way you raise your children, yep. uh, the way you connect with people as you go about your life in a positive way that, that helps uplift, um, up, uplift people. We all have a, that's the power of the wake. We all, we don't see how we impact other people. And, um, but we oftentimes, have this power of our wake that we influence people mm. positively or negatively by the way we interact with them. And once you become conscious of that, you have a responsibility to, to sort of have a positive wake rather than a negative <laughs> right. wake. That's, it's such an interesting point because it goes to the, of the, the awareness thing that you were talking about. When you start going down this path of kind of conscious leadership, a lot of it is awareness, right? And the, and the awareness that you do have, regardless of your position, your title, or where you're at in an organization, or wherever, whatever your lot in life is, that you have a tremendous amount of influence, whether you know it or not. And when you become aware of it, and you kind of understand the, the power that can be wielded from that, both good and bad, um, it's an awesome responsibility, right? And, mm-hmm. and I think that's why it's important. And you said love, too. And I think I, I'm a huge proponent of that. I think you know leadership is, a, is so much about Love, and you said in the pre-recording, but before we started recording, that it's not the kind of, you know, emotional love or the arrows type of love that we kind of associate with love, like my attraction to my spouse. But it's more of the kind of the agape, yeah. I'm going to sacrifice so that you may prosper type of love, right? And the actions that are equated behind that. It doesn't have to be, I don't, I, it doesn't have to be sacrificed. One of the Great important point. chapters Great in our point. book is find win-win-win solutions where good for you, 
good for me, good for all of us. There is unfortunately, and, and we tend to think in these binary polarities, good versus evil, light versus darkness, um, uh, rich versus poor, um, win versus losing, and they're these, these opposites. And so we confuse um, love with sacrifice. That's true. And right. uh, it doesn't have to be that way. There, there could be, I mean, there are times if you love your children, you, you make a sacrifice, except it doesn't feel like a sacrifice, it, does it? It's because a great you're, point. You're doing it because you love your child, and that's just more important to you. So I don't, I think confusing love and sacrifice together is, is misrepresents love and makes it, makes it, can think it is negative. I think love is very positive and the sacrifices occur because you want them to occur because in some ways your care is so deep that it's not a sacrifice at all. It's actually what you really want to do. And if it's really what you want to do, is it a sacrifice? Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. And you're, you're absolutely right that sometimes when you kind of, when I use that term of sac, it looks like love is kind of coming from a place of lack, but it's the abundance of it, right? And it's, and to your point, is it really a sacrifice if I'm on the surface? It may look like a sacrifice, but the rewards or the or the return on interest that comes with that air quotes sacrifice is more abundance. And so, is it really a sacrifice at all, right? So, I agree with you, right? It's kind of using that word puts it in that binary language and kind of a language of scarcity instead of thinking of an abundance. You're absolutely right. That's a great point. Let's go. So let's dive into kind of that third pillar of, of what we said of your philosophy of the conscious capitalism, which is the conscious leadership. And so as we get into it and in the book, tell me again, how the book is broken up. You, you, you hit it on it a little bit, but what are the, how are the chapters organized? Well, the chapters are organized. There's nine chapters, and uh, um, the first the first chapter is put. Every one of them is is kind of a call to action. Call to action, yeah. So the first chapter is put purpose first, and the second chapter is lead with love. The third chapter is integrity. Uh, uh, always act with integrity. Mm-hmm. The fourth chapter is find win 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 solutions. The fifth chapter is innovate and create value. The six chapters think long term. Got it. And then, and then the seven chapters constantly evolve the team. The eighth chapter is regularly revitalize, and ninth is continuously learn and grow. And those are divided into three parts. So the first part is vision and virtue, because purpose, love, integrity, and then part two is mindset and strategy. Win win, innovate, create value, think long term, and then people and culture, evolving the team, revitalizing yourself contingency learn and grow so we think each of these action items could each each of those could be a book in the, in and of themselves Absolutely. but um the main thing is is that all of these i think malcolm gladwell talked about or at least popularized the idea that to be a master you have to put in your ten thousand hours ten thousand yeah. hours it's the same way with being a conscious leader you you could read this book and you could you could get some ideas, but to actually change your interior, your inner being, you have to do the work. Yeah, I mean, we and each chapter has very practices you can do. Because take love for example, we tend to think of love as an emotion. It's a feeling you have, right? Right. But it's a lot more than that. It's really a set of skills. 
we become more skillful at loving if we practice it. And so we, we talk about love, not just in this all encompassing sense, but we talk about the different aspects of love as we call it. Love is a many splendored thing. So there's, there's, there's generosity as a form of love. Gratitude is a form of love. Care is a form of love. Um, compassion is a form of love. Um, appreciation is a form of love. Yeah. Forgiveness is a form of love. These are all different sort of aspects of love. And we can practice generosity. We can practice forgiveness. And if we do, we become more skillful at it. Like take forgiveness. It's very hard for some people to forgive people for things that they feel like and they've been wronged in some way. And they, we tend to nurse grievances, which sort of poison our soul. And people don't realize that there's a way to forgive where you, you don't forget what happened to you. You don't condone it, but you just let go of it, of the bitterness of it and the hold that it has on your heart, which is basically you're harming yourself by holding on to the grievance. You're yeah. poisoning yourself. So that's that, and that's, but you, you get better at forgiveness if you practice it. Same with all of these different aspects of love. And so we can become more skillful at loving if we will do the work and do the practices. It's very worth doing because there's, I don't know of any skill, set of skills that will, will, will reward you more than loving. <laughs> I agree. Love, love is, is, you could argue love is the purpose of life and becoming more skillful at it will enrich your life and enrich the lives of other people, you know, almost beyond measure. Um, and let's take integrity. Um, Integrity doesn't come natural to people. Mm -mm. I mean, think about small children. As soon as children learn how to talk, yeah, they, know learn, how to lie. they learn how to lie. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> because they don't want to get in trouble. They right. don't want to be disapproved by their parents. So they begin practicing lying. And, and so actually, you have to unlearn that. You have to learn to tell the truth. And we begin to hide ourselves. Authenticity is not natural That's right. once we get past a certain age mm -hmm. because we get we get our authentic selves get poked fun at and we begin to hide that authentic self and pretend to be something we're not to be to be popular or to be loved. And so we have to learn relearn authenticity. We have to learn uh, honor. Something again as a Marine, yeah. you would know a lot about honor. Honor is I'm not the kind of person that does those kind of things because I have honor. And uh, that's, again, something we have to learn in practice. So um, purpose, love, integrity, finding win-win-win solutions, these are all skills, thinking long-term. These are not natural to people. No, we, I have to, we have to do the inner work. Hey, we're about halfway through the conversation, but I wanted to take the time to talk about my good friends, the sponsor here of this special series at Equity Bank. Have you ever noticed that most business bankers seem to really understand just one thing? It's banking, right? And not a lot about business. It makes sense since most banks were built generations ago and now they're often run by caretakers, not business builders. Well, it's not the case here at Equity Bank. The bankers at Equity Bank didn't inherit a bank generations ago. They built one of their own. They know that building something takes expertise vision, and hard work. And over the past decade, they've built one of the region's fastest growing banks by working side by side with customers, with entrepreneurs, with leaders in communities all throughout Kansas, Missouri, Arkansas, and Oklahoma. Recently, Equity Bank was listed on the NASDAQ exchange, which gives them even greater capabilities to take on those big deals that growing businesses need to keep on growing. 
So if you're tired of talking to bankers who've never really ran or owned or built a business, then I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised when you talk to my friends at Equity Bank. Thanks for listening to this show. Let's get back to the conversation, this unique and special series on leadership and entrepreneurship brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. I love how you framed it that way because it's absolutely right. And I think we, we, you know, one big takeaway I've got from having all these conversations over the last eight years is really realizing how what you just said is, is true. I think we beat ourselves up internally of not thinking, oh, there's something wrong with me because I am hiding behind this mask or that I am not, uh, I'm telling white lies or I try to, I don't show my authentic self. I'm not that transparent. I struggle with vulnerability, all these things. And we look at, but you know, that's just the kind of the human, human condition. And I think yeah, that. And those are rationalizations too. Exactly. And, and the more that we understand that the currencies for what we're talking about here are authenticity, transparency, and vulnerability. And, and you, you can accept that that is the currency. And then that, that you actually just kind of stop worrying about what, what other people think about you, then your whole life can be totally transformed and understanding that there, there is a level of intentionality that day after day after day until the day that you assume room temperature that is going to be involved in this process. So I love how you've kind of, if I look at your book and I look at the call, the actions and all the kind of the exercises and the deep dive on love is so great because it, 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 it points out how intentional and how much work is actually involved in this on a day-to-day basis, but it's, it's, it's worth it, right? It becomes, normal to once you start going down this path and realizing that it's a lifelong process right and it is and if and the payoffs are tremendous too absolutely um you will become in a, in a world that's constantly evolving and changing as you become a more conscious leader you become better equipped to deal with all the radical change that's occurring absolutely. all the time because because we're we're basically developing our interior again most business is focused on task. It's focused on accomplishing things. And that doesn't go away. But as we develop our interiority, our, our, our inner selves, um, we become more capable of actually doing good instead of harm. That's right. Because <laughs> uh, when you're dealing with unconscious leaders, no matter how smart or capable they are, in a lot of ways they can be very destructive because they do – they're like a bull in a china shop. They just can do a lot of harm to other people and disrupt the team. And, and uh, um, there's just a lot of scars they can produce in other people. Well, that's a great point. And it, and it kind of highlights the difference between, you know, a transactional leader or a transformative leader. I mean, without getting too James polite. McGregor Burns. Did you read that in his work? No. You know, I, have, I, I haven't. Which, which book was, was that? Well, he wrote a book. Uh, it's, it's, I've read most of his history books, too, regarding um, American history. But then I read he wrote a book on leadership. And that was a big distinction he made in his book was between transactional leaders and transformative leaders. And he would, he would take presidents. And like, so um, Lincoln would be a transformative leader, for, sure. for example. Yeah. There have been plenty of transactional leaders, and LBJ is more of a transactional leader. Right. Well, Trump is a transactional leader for sure, right? I mean, everything he does is Trump. He he can he 
Um, increasingly, he's a transformative leader. That's how he sh- seems to be showing up these days. But let's not talk about politics. No kidding. Whatever, yeah, did, did, whatever did, I say, did, for half, the, half the people or more will hate me. Right. I, say, so I don't, don't want to say anything about politics. I don't, don't, don't want to be canceled, for God's sake. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> My apologies for bringing that Pandora's box to the to the conversation. But yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and I, what you said there about um, when I look at what what you've written down here and what the book is, is I would say in the last five, seven years is when it really kind of hit me as like an aha moment. I used to look at leadership as such an external event and obviously external things are at play here. And But I used to look at it kind of, I think, with a limiting lens of it's about inspiration and motivation. And I've come to believe now that Leadership is so internal, 80% minimum internal of, of constantly of, of exercising that emotional quotient piece of getting more aware and working on yourself. And then that begs the question is like, well, then how do you get things done? I think just the freedom of – Because it's both. That's right. It's not either or. That's right. Both. Exactly. But hey, Rich, if you can't lead yourself, yeah, you can't lead how can you lead others? You can't. And many people can't lead themselves, but they want power. I see this oftentimes in our political leaders. They fundamentally can't lead themselves, but they want they want everybody else I to know, do what right? they tell them to. Right. And it's 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 we want leaders that um, that we respect and that we feel like actually will lead us with wisdom and and. Uh, uh, we desperate. In fact, I will say we need conscious leaders in business, but we need them in politics. We need them in government. Absolutely. We need them in healthcare, education, the military. We need it in all aspects of life. Do you have anybody? And and I know you list some businesses um, that have kind of e- exemplified some of these things. But if you look at the landscape, anybody that you really admire and appreciate? I guess it can be throughout history too. But if you could kind of s- s- look at leaders that we may know or someone that you look up to that would kind of emulate what we're talking about here? You know, we live in a, an era that's an anti-hero era yeah. because anybody that you hold up is a fallible human being. Right. And, and so they get attacked. Uh, people don't because they, nobody's perfect. And right. so people focus on people's failings and their faults and uh, forget about their accomplishments. I find this, very common today that people are judged by a mistake or two rather than all the contributions they've made. So I can name people and then other people will think, well, so-and-so did so-and-so, so he or she is not really a, really a hero. So there's this anti-hero consciousness right now. I but I will say that historically, none of these are perfect people and a lot of them have been canceled, but um, some of the people I most admire historically – uh, I would say somebody like Socrates is yeah, admirable. I would, um, I would agree with that. Yeah, uh, I actually admire both Buddha and Jesus yeah. uh, as historical figures. Um, Leonardo da Vinci, for sure. Uh, uh, in our in American history, Ben Franklin was, I think, one of the greatest Americans. I agree. Um, uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln. Yep. Um, Martin Luther King. Sure. Uh, Nelson Mandela. Gandhi. I mean, there have been many people I admire, and then, and then in business, in business, I tend to admire entrepreneurs who really help change the world. So, 
Um, these these for people that are castigated today, but I admire people like Andrew Carnegie, Carnegie mm-hmm. uh, Rockefeller, John Rockefeller, mm-hmm. Andrew Mellon. The so-called robber barons were actually giants who really helped make tremendous human progress, although – Today, we'd see them as rather ruthless. And then a more contemporary, of course, I do greatly admire Steve Jobs, although, you know, I read his biography, seems to have been definitely a less conscious leader than he might like, but definitely a genius nevertheless. Uh, You know, I now work for Amazon. I do admire Jeff Bezos quite a bit. I've met Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, um, Elon Musk. I mean... The entrepreneurs that are that are that are really uh, helping change the world, despite the fact that they are flawed and not perfect human beings, does not mean they're not great individuals. Uh, in terms of conscious leaders, I mean, most of the people I most admire their conscious leaders are actually running smaller businesses and would not be if I could name them, but nobody would have heard of them, so I won't call them out uh, particularly. Although in the book we talk about say somebody like Rand Stegen at Stegen Institute, which is doing basically conscious leadership development at his state and he's in Dallas. So I, I greatly admire Rand and the work that his, he and his organization are doing. And he's a very conscious leader. And many of the people in the conscious capitalism movement that I work with people like Doug Rao and, and uh, Alexander McCobin. And these are, these are conscious leaders. Yeah. Great, great list. I mean, and I'm with you too. I think I, that's why I love studying leaders. I, I love all the, particularly the flaws, right? Because making the human, and again, I don't quite understand, I guess like on the surface, I understand why. I like reading biographies. I do too. And and seeing how they weren't perfect, but trying to, to get to the core because it, it makes them human and realizing that, hey, you know, I'm not that much different than these people, you know? That, that's exactly right. I'm reading an interesting biography right now by uh, that David McCullough's uh, The Wright Brothers. Oh, I didn't realize he wrote one on The Wright Brothers. Oh, he did. He came out a couple of years ago. I'm just reading it now, and it's fantastic. I love McCullough's stuff, too. I'm not going to get into it too much, but The Wright, the Wright Brothers were a couple of a couple of guys from a, a Dayton, Ohio, that, that got caught up in the bicycle revolution when that came at the end of the 19th century, owned a bicycle shop. They were really high-integrity people, salt of the earth, hard work, Midwesterners, yeah. right? Right. The best things about the Midwestern. And then they fell absolutely no college degrees, no college education, self-taught. And they fell adly and completely in love with the idea of flight. And then they just began to read everything about it and did start doing experiments and, ju- and just fascinating story about yeah. these guys. I, I think you'll like it if you like biographies. I do. And, and as a professional aviator, of course, I'm going to be interested in – already know a lot about them. But yeah, particularly McCullough stuff. I love – I love He's such stuff. a good writer. He and and he, I've read a bunch of his books. The, John Adams yeah, is one of the Well, I was going to say, when you're, when you're saying your list, um, I learned so much about John Adams from McCullough that I rank him up there as probably one of my favorite founding fathers. I I love Adams. I don't think he was a great leader, which no. is why I left him out. But he was certainly had a he, he, he had a huge impact on America in, in many, many ways. He just wasn't – I don't think he was a great president, so I didn't list him. No, but I, I guess what I liked about him was his kind of he, – he was one of the few individuals that had a foresight of how to keep the union – you know, keep that kind of precious union together I, at its early stages. I, I agree. I think Hamilton was a, yeah. was a remarkable individual, and mm-hmm. if he had lived longer, it's interesting to speculate on what impact he might have had. Yeah. Um, 
But so, yeah, I'm, fa- I'm a fan of most of the founding fathers, to tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. I love Washington. They're all flawed. Washington, Jefferson, Adams, Hamilton, uh, Madison, Monroe. I'm a big fan uh, of Thomas Paine, even though he wasn't a president, but I think Thomas, Thomas Paine, Paine was a remarkable, mm-hmm. remarkable guy who had a huge impact in America. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Very interesting character. Yeah. And un- you know, kind of died almost friendless. You know, eight people showed up at his, fu- his funeral. It's just amazing when you, especially when you look at the life and, and the lives of the deck, the signers, and how their lives were. The vast majority of those, how their lives were impacted after they signed it, and it didn't end well for a lot of them. You know, well, it doesn't end well for many people in life. The sad thing about our lives, we get old and sick and die, and mm-hmm. oftentimes, uh, you know, nobody comes to our funeral because we don't have kids and and. Uh, you know, we outlive a lot of our peers and we get forgotten. Yeah, Thomas, right. Thomas Paine, uh, you know, I mean, he was the pamphleteer of the revolution. He That's wrote right. uh, the pamphlets that had a huge impact. And, and he was a very good writer and passionate. But he got carried away, as you know, his story he got carried away in the French Revolution. That's right. And he sort of moved away. And he, in some ways, he got more and more radicalized. He did. He moved, he moved away from the American Revolution to right. more radical forms of revolution. And then he, he stopped kind of being an American right. way. So that's one reason we forget about the guy. And he was a devout deist too. And that kind of went against some of the, particularly the founding father on the revolution side, right? And um, I know deism was kind of fairly popular, but he, yeah. But it's just. I think, well, you know, you, D- Jefferson and uh, Franklin yeah, could be they were defined both deist. as deists that's as right. well. But he was more, uh, Franklin and Jefferson didn't make a big deal out of it. Right. He got more, and like you Cain said, more was proselytizing. And that's, that's right. right. Threaten right. Christian. That's uh, right. The Christian Christians well, at that time. So, as the as the, what do you hope in the best case scenario? What are you hoping if someone picks up this book? You know, what are you hoping somebody, as, as they finish this, happens? We'd like them to be inspired. Uh, we'd like them to feel challenged. Challenged to, to. This is the kind of book that pays to. You have to work with it, and it pays to reread it. Um, it's 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 a book that. It's, we didn't write a light book that it's, we, because it's so full of stories, it reads pretty well. Yeah. But it's, it's a book not meant to be just entertaining. It's meant to be a book that challenges you to want to be a more, to lead with love, to have more integrity, to, to find win, win, win solutions. It, it, it's a book that we want to challenge you to make yourself a better leader, to, to commit yourself to doing the work. And That's lo- what we hope that we hoped happens. And I love that. And I think I know for me, I'm attracted to those types of call to action material. Cause you're right. There's so many books on leadership out there. And what I like about yours is the call to action. It does get down to what I call the gritty and the grimy aspect of leadership, which I find attractive, you know, and I think all a lot of real leaders out there understand how gritty and grimy and isolating it can feel at times, but, that is the price of admission to significance, I think, right? And, and when you look at it in that aspect, that we're you're doing this again because I look at it as an obligation to make the place better than you found it, but also it takes a tremendous amount of courage to do what you're talking about in your book. But that's if you work through that, then something significant happens on the other side. It's just it's impossible not to. I'm a great believer, Rich, and. In- servant leadership. Yeah. We talk about that in the book, in the chapter on lead with love. 
And again, servant doesn't mean sacrifice necessarily, mm-hmm. although it could mean that. I mean, I've, I've made many sacrifices over the years for Whole Foods because for me, Whole Foods is like my child. And, uh, you know, I love my child. I want it to flourish and whatever it takes for that to happen. And of course, I've been also richly rewarded from it as well. But the servant leadership is an important idea because the servant leader is not too many people are attracted to leadership because they're attracted to power and power is seductive and it can be corrupting. See this in politics a lot. And uh, I I can sometimes, I'm not going to name any names, but I see some of these political leaders that are, you can just tell they are, they are hungry for power over other people. And uh, I don't think that's a good thing. I don't think it's healthy. I think a servant leader is there to serve their organization, their team, um, their country. And so that's why the word sacrifice is meaningful in that context. It just means they're putting the interest of the larger organization ahead of their own personal interest. It's not, they're not interested in it for power because they're trying to get something from it so much as they're attempting to serve others. It's a completely different mindset. And we talk about the founding fathers. Many of them were servant leaders. They were really trying, they, they loved the country and they wanted the country to flourish and they were willing to put the good of the country first. That is something that is beginning to go out of style in America, which is unfortunate. But I do think in the corporate scene, servant leaders um, are, it's more important than ever that we need leaders that will serve the higher purpose of the organization, will serve all the stakeholders, will serve the good of their team. Those are the kind of people that you will, you will are willing to trust, that you're willing to follow, because you know they care about you and they want what's best for you and for everybody else in the organization. I have aspired to be that type of leader myself, and you know sometimes I've I've been successful at that, and of course I've had failings as well. So, but um, and so this book has got 42 years of my mistakes <laughs> in it, in a way. Yeah. <laughs> because I've, many of my lessons that I've learned have been from taking a wrong path for a while, making mistakes. I tell some of those stories in the book. Um, well, but the main takeaway is about is about um, do the work, transform yourself, be worthy of being a leader. Yeah. Because it's not about you having control over other people. It's about you serving others and helping them reach their highest potential and the organization fulfilling its goals and its purpose and its mission. What I love about this book is it is, I look at it as like an arrow in, in the quiver of this kind of journey of, um, I think that the big vacuums are the things that drive me crazy. Or what, and I see, and I, the people that I associate with and we see it, we feel uh, there's in a lot of ways, uh, lost because everything around her we see this this kind of um acceptance of mendacity or untruthfulness and this kind of acceptance of mediocrity and i think that what i love about your book is again it's a it's a action book or an arrow in my quiver that kind of punches those two things in the face you know i I, i'm tired of the mendacity that we see all around us and the the lack of accountability and, and i'm tired of the mediocrity of 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 what we've accepted as okay. And I think that we should all be striving for every transaction should be intentionally. How can I add value to the situation? You know, this value-based leadership mindset and, and it leads to innovation and all these great things, right? That's what I agree with you a hundred percent. We need, we need an American renewal and that renewal will come from 
conscious leaders. Absolutely. Well conscious said. Conscious leaders who will, who, who I don't see that many conscious leaders on, I don't either. The, on the political scene, but there's a, there's a hunger for them. I agree. There's a hunger for them. And I believe they will emerge because, because America is resilient and we, we are sometimes at our best when our backs are against the wall. We, we get, we tend to get the leaders we need when we need them. And, uh, the Abraham Lincoln's show up, we somewhat collectively call forth that type of leadership energy. And I think America needs transformative conscious leaders. And I think we'll get them. I don't think, I don't see any right now that are, that are hugely exciting to me, but that doesn't mean they're not there. We just haven't called them forth yet, but I think we will over the next, over the next 10 years, we're going to see some new leaders emerge that, that we're going to, you and I will be excited about that. We'd be willing to follow and, 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 trust them to lead America to a, to a, to a better place. Man, I want to believe you hundred percent. I, I, I have that same sort of optimism that I, uh, but there's, there are negativity dragons that I'm constantly fighting, but I, I love hearing you say that because it, at least I know there's another fellow human being and a fellow soldier that believes the same thing that I believe. I, I, I love that you said that. And that's great. Well, I think the the book is great, John. And I love, I knew this would be a great conversation. I think um, you're one of the good ones. I'm, I'm consider me a, a huge fan and um, uh, a dedicated soldier in, in your fight. And um, I'll always – anybody that talks about what you're talking about, I mean, I, I just – I can't argue. I mean, you pretty much – the way you believe and everything else is pretty much everything I've talked about here in the last eight years. And, it, and, it, and your stuff, conscious capitalism and, and working through conscious leadership, it, it crystallizes and aligns with a lot of what – is jumbled up in my brain. So you, you've helped me gain some clarity at least on how to articulate ah, it. I'm helping you become more conscious. That's right. So <laughs> and vice versa, we help each other, right? Yeah, that's right. And we do seem to have a strong overlap in terms of what we believe. Mm-hmm. And so I hope we get the chance to meet in person. Someday. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, how can people find out about you, learn more about you, connect with you, engage with you? Engage with me personally. That's going to be extremely difficult. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> $20 billion corporation, got 100,000 people working for the company. Right. So I'm a busy guy at this point. Although sometime in the next few years, I'll be retiring from Whole Foods. But if they want to get involved in conscious capitalism, that's very, that's not that difficult to do. Just first of all, you can find out more information by just going to consciouscapitalism.org. That's our website. Awesome. And they can, they can read conscious capitalism in the book. They, but we have got various conscious capitalism um, chapters uh, around the United States and actually increasingly around the world where we're, we're obviously COVID has put a little bit of a crimp on it for now, but uh, where the where business, these business leaders and other leaders who want to be more conscious and want to meet their peers come together and, uh, and share because a big part of, of, of spreading a movement is to get the people that, that are resonating with it together so they spark each other, just like you and I are sparking each other in this conversation. It's important that other conscious leaders who are dedicated to this new vision of leadership, it's not even a new vision, let's no. just call it a renewal, a renewal of vision, but maybe articulate it a little differently, come together, share ideas. And uh, that's how movements uh, gestate and how they spread. We want to we want to have a movement of conscious leadership and conscious capitalism. Well, count me in, and um, I encourage all my listeners to to get 
both books, uh, Conscious Capitalism and, and if you haven't done so already, and certainly the new one, Conscious Leadership, I just think it's it's just spot on stuff and well needed in a trying time. That's no, been good. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Like yeah. I said, I hope that we get to meet in person. John, <laughs> thanks for coming on the show and I really appreciate it. We'll be in touch soon. Thanks. Thanks, Rich. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show. I hope you got some value out of this episode. If you did, please do me a huge favor. Tell somebody about this show. Tell your spouse, tell your kids, tell your coworkers. Let them know about the value that Dose of Leadership brings to your world. Go to doseofleadership.com. You can learn more about my services. If you're looking for somebody to speak, teach, or coach about leadership, I'm your guy. I'm known for my ability to transform individuals and organizations, teaching them the concept of creating a culture of decentralized leadership. I do think that is the secret sauce to facing all the challenges that we face today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I look forward to the next time we're together. And until the meantime, make it a great one. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is your moment. Your moment to move forward and make progress. It's time to see where an education can take you. For over 130 years, Strayer University has been at the forefront of change, offering programs that help students like you get ahead and stay ahead so you can keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEF. Ladies, at Essentia Health, you're not just a patient. You're a partner in your healthcare journey. We'll get to the heart of your health questions, even the ones you're embarrassed to ask. We'll find solutions to fit your unique needs and lifestyle, because here, we're in it together. Feel confident in your care and in yourself. Schedule a women's health appointment with an Essentia Health provider today. Click the banner to learn more.